Repetition, people, is a technology of influence. Just because you sent once doesn't mean you're done. You keep at this the same way I keep at this. Every single day, you keep people accountable. And one day at a coffee shop, one day at a golf club, one day at a fundraiser, one day at a dinner, one day at your church, you're going to come in contact with that AG or that senator or that congressman. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to say, my face is downcast because you're allowing the enemies at the gate. And on that day, because of the actions you took, we will prevail. Welcome to Flyover Conservative Podcast with David and Stacey Whited, where we break down current events and examine culture through the lens of conservative Christian values. Okay, Flyover family, this is an episode you want to get uh, your notepad out, get a pen. Um, Share. If you're on the lawnmower or treadmill, you know, those Mm -hmm. kind of things, listen to this. You're probably going to come back and listen again because um, rarely is, is a case laid out point by point by point. Uh, that's like everything that's kind of consumed your life. Probably for many of you, you might have lost loved ones. You might have lost a business. This this topic has affected every single person that's hearing my voice right now. Um, and everything that caused you frustration and and you're like who and what and you're it's it's going to be laid out in these next few minutes of exactly who, what, where, when, why, and how, and uh, in a very clear way. But it, it's up to us. Uh, to be the white knight that's going to come and save the day. And it requires you right now at this moment to get active. Mm-hmm. And you're listening. Don't stop what you're doing. Keep running. Get your body right. But then come back, and you're going to want to take the notes. You're going to want to go to the notes section of this episode because it's up to us to take this information and us to save the day. Us, I mean, Stacy, me, mm-hmm. producer Colton, you, every single mm-hmm. person that's involved in this, we're the ones that are live in this moment and are accountable for the information that's put in front of us. You're no longer hands are clean. Like, hey, I, there's nothing I could have done. I didn't know. Because you're hearing my voice mm-hmm. right now. And because you did, you're now obligated to take action on the information you're about to receive. Um, not our, all guests are created equal. This one is is exceptional um, in both his preparation that God put into preparing him decades ago for this moment in time. I do not think that's an accident. You know, it's we're all here for a reason. You weren't born 100 years ago or 100 years from now. And, and this guest specifically was created, wired, and sort of run through the refinery of, of, of preparation for this moment. I saw him on TED Talks 15, 16 years ago talking about, you know, Occupy Wall Street and why wasn't it Occupy Monroe Street? You know, mm-hmm. these things of like things that have that have documentaries have been made out of he understood, understood, looking for for bioweapons, looking for weapons of mass destruction back before those terms were even household names. And so so the preparation for this moment was very unique. Uh, as corporate advisor, an entrepreneur, a financier, a storyteller, a professor, um, an inventor. And I think I've even seen some episodes that he had a little bit of background in 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 music and conducting and writing hymns, but we probably won't even get into that today, but just saying, just saying a Renaissance man whose mind is equipped for the moment, the one, the only Mr. David Martin. Yay! So, so great to be here. Thank, thank you very much. David, Stacey, so good to see you. Thank you. It, it, it's an honor to have you. I'd love to have you on, and we could talk about fun topics and different things, and those would probably be great conversations, the music or, you know, something else. I've, I've, feel like I've been preparing this conversation, you know, for years, going back, you know, a decade, you know, watching you. Um, unfortunately, we are here to talk about a, a, a criminal cartel uh, that that yeah. has, has at, to this point kind of gone unchecked, mm-hmm. but not unnoticed and not undocumented. And that's what I want to really dive in today because you sort of lay out lay out the case, lay out the goods going back to 1913, 1943. Yeah. 
uh, you know, through this whole process, this didn't happen all of a sudden and it didn't happen by accident. And this is, you know, we're more prepared to take notes than even to ask questions. I'm just so excited to learn from you today. Well, David and Stacey, it's first of all, great to be here. And and I, I made the point at CPAC just a couple of days ago that if we're serious about understanding what happened in the last four years, we have to go back to Oliver Wendell Holmes, Supreme Court Justice in 1904, um, who who set in motion an enormously horrific precedent. And that that precedent was that in the interest of what the state would define ultimately as eugenics, and let's be really clear on what that term is. Eugenics is the process of eliminating people who are undesirable in a population. And, and I want to be really, really clear on the fact that when we, when we talk about this, we're talking about one of the most horrific, despicable blights on the human soul that we possibly can have. Anytime that we forget what is written unambiguously in every scripture, which is judgment is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Somewhere along the line, any decision made about who should or should not be here is actually out of our pay grade. And we got to get our heads wrapped around this. But Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes and his colleagues in 1904, in the very famous Jacobson case, made the argument that that there was in the interest of public health a suspension of basic civil and human rights and liberties and and essentially said that in the interest of what was defined then as the vaccination for um, the state of Massachusetts, what they basically said was that, hey, you know, we're going to actually tell the world that there's going to be a waiver of the rights of a human being when the state in its sole discretion decides that a pharmaceutical company has a greater interest than the interest of the individual. And if you go and you look at that decision, which actually was published in in 1905, what you see is that it basically put in motion what then a few short years later became inculcated inside of a horrific program funded by Andrew Carnegie and a little later by the Rockefeller Foundation, which was the United States Eugenics Office. And and I want you to hear the terms that they used. These these were programs to get rid of, and I quote, the undesirables. Mm. The undesirables. Now, what was undesirable? These were people who who were crippled people who had various mental challenges, people who had various physiologic considered defects, people who um, had all sorts of things that said that they might be a dependent on the state. So uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes famously said that that no more than three generations should be allowed to procreate, justifying the idea of forced sterilization and forced eugenics no more than three generations of undesirables. These, these kinds of, of terms were normalized in the beginning of the last century. And unfortunately, all of these programs were transferred into what became this horrible, horrible program at Cold Spring Harbor in New York, which, are you ready for this, is still in operation today. 
Wow. Let's let's get really clear. You know, people sit there and hide behind this pretense that somehow or another we evolved. But back in the 1920s and 1930s, I want everybody to remember in 1920, just remember this, Dr. Alfred Hess in 1920 was willing to take orphans in New York and in Massachusetts and kill them because they were orphans Mm. in the name of medical research. One of the most famous trials that he did was a trial on scurvy where he intentionally malnourished children to the point of disability and death. And Oliver Wendell Holmes made it abundantly clear that we needed to use prisoners. We needed to use orphans. We needed to use what they called imbeciles. So remember, this is just people who have cognitive deficits determined by whom? Well, determined by a family member who wanted to get rid of somebody, a woman who was actually dealing with postmenopausal or postpartum issues, right? A person who was undesirable. If the family said, yeah, this person is an imbecile, they were sent away. And these people in the 1920s and the 1930s were actually given no access to any rights and children were murdered. The New York Jewish orphanages, the New York Catholic orphanages, the Massachusetts orphanage filled with cases after cases of people being murdered. And the reason I try to point this out is people think COVID happened in 2019, going into the spring of 2020. And and they don't understand that COVID is a brand. It's a brand of a terror campaign that has been going on for 120 years. And the terror campaign is to say that in the name of health, no liberty is afforded to anyone, period. That's the war that we're fighting. And we are 121 years into it. And David and Stacy, the sadness I have is that even the most allegedly awakened parts of the community standing against this current tyranny has no literacy on what they're fighting. This is to your earlier point, like Occupy Wall Street, when credit default swaps were traded in Chicago, right? Why were we in Mm -hmm. Wall Street when the crime was in Chicago? Well, the same thing is happening now. We're pretending that COVID was the crime. COVID wasn't the crime. The suspension of our Bill of Rights the suspension of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the suspension of all things that since Nuremberg, we the people of the world hold dear, the suspension of all of that in the name of pharmaceutical industrial complex tyranny is the war. And we're still not fighting that war. We're still talking about ivermectin and we're still Mm -hmm. talking about hydrochloroquine. We're still talking about mRNA. And I get the importance of those things but those are skirmishes on the sidelines and the battlefield right now, David and Stacy, the battlefield is empty. It's empty. And this show and all of the shows mm-hmm. I do is an attempt to fill that battlefield with people who understand what the real fight is. When David introduced you, he kind of touched on it, but can you tell the audience what you were doing um, in the late 1990s, early 2000s? Um, because yeah. I think that's important for people to understand. Uh, real quick, on a, on a side note, I want to add real quick before you jump in. Um, 
if you're watching this and you think this is so much to grab, we have a, a text in that's going to have a bunch of resources from today. It's going to have links. It's got PDF and even the yep. slide decks that are used for today. If you send us a text to 40509, just on your phone, that's the number you text to 40509. In the body of the text, put the word Martin, M-A-R-T-I-N, Martin. You'll get an automatic Dropbox download directly to your phone. You'll be equipped with these resources. You're then equipped with the tools to be empowered in this battle. Mm -hmm. So the battlefield is not empty. Now you are in it. If you send us a text 40509, the word Martin, everything that comes up in this conversation will be placed in that, in that Dropbox. Go ahead, Dr. Martin. Yeah, perfect. David, thank you for that. And, and yeah, thanks for actually pointing that out because we need to take action. We need to equip ourselves. Um, The, the enemy benefits from the ignorance of the Mm well-intentioned. And and Mm -hmm. we have a huge number of well-intentioned people who simply don't have the information. So we do need to actually build that up. You're exactly right. So Stacey, back to your question. Um, You know, it's interesting. My first congressional testimony was in 1983. Are you ready for that? Uh, (laughs) It's impossible. (laughs) You must be a vampire. I know. Or something. How do you look? No way. I've been at this thing for a long time. That that was um, that was back when um, there was a lot of uh, public consideration of whether or not um, we should reinstate the draft here in this country. And the focus of my first congressional testimony was the fact that I advocated that every American citizen should be compelled to do service for the country in one form or another. But at the same time, and you'll remember this, it's 1983. This is just as the brewing of Iran-Contra is, is coming full bloom. I said that you cannot have compulsory service if you don't have transparency of national intent, right? You can't ask somebody to fight and die for a cause that is a criminal conspiracy. And so the point I was making, and remember, this is 1983. I want you to put in your mind a horrible picture. I was wearing, are you ready for this? white parachute pants and a (laughs) lavender shirt with a white collar with a skinny tie. I wore that to Congress that day. And that's me, 1983. We got to find that picture. But, but, but the point, the point I made then and the point I make now is I'm, I think that every person needs to understand the role of the Patriot. You need to see that there's a cause bigger than yourself. You need to be able to fight for a cause bigger than yourself. I'm a huge advocate for that, but that has to come with transparency. It has to come with accountability. It has to come with integrity of the public office. And if we have criminals running the policies of this country, then we should not be sending men and women to their death to defend a tyrannical criminal program. And that's exactly what I was arguing against in 1983. But to get to your question, what happened after that is I went to Central America in 1986 during the Uh, Nicaraguan War. I actually ran a medic program on the border of Costa Rica and Nicaragua, did a lot of work in the front line and found out exactly what the war on drugs was not. It was not a war on drugs. It was the United States government doing the drug trafficking, supporting the drug trafficking so that we could run guns all over the world. And, And what happened, and this is the part that people find mysterious, what happened is I just didn't forget any names and faces. The people that I met down there, the people that I knew down there, the people from the DEA and the CIA and all of the other you know agencies that were down there, I actually happened to remember them. I remembered who their names were, who their affiliates were, who their funders were, who was at meetings. I remembered all those things. And when I started my first business, Mosaic Technologies, in the early 1990s, 
one of the things we started doing was what was called treaty restricted technology transfer. Now to the common person, what that means is that we were going into countries where they were prohibited from exporting offensive military technologies because of the treaty that ended the Second World War. And we would find civilian applications for that technology. So today, if you use a cell phone, if you've had a cardiac catheterization, if you've ever been in an MRI or a CAT scan machine or a gamma camera of any kind for medical reasons, if you have ever had any diagnostic tests run on your blood, the probability is very high that you have actually touched a technology I actually brought to the United States in the early 1990s. And in the process of doing that, I also found myself in bioweapons and chemical weapons labs all over the world. Mm. And it turns out that way too often, I found out that the biological and chemical weapons labs that I was in around the world were run by, are you ready for this? The United States government that said mm. that in the 1950s, we were not going to have a biological weapons program. Man. Now, tiny problem. If you're telling the public that you don't have a biological weapons program, and I'm in the room looking at one of 68 scheduled toxins that the United States government has decided are too lethal to have an experimentation, but we don't mind doing that experimentation in our labs here in the United States and around the world. Guess what? The same mind that I had in 1980s where I remembered names and faces and mm -hmm. dates and everything else. Guess what I did? Remembered <laughs> names and faces and dates and everything else. And, and so you know, I, I started briefing the intelligence agencies and law enforcement on the biological weapons programs in the mid-1990s. I happened to be in the anthrax lab at the United States Department of Defense facility in Maryland the day of the very famous fire in the anthrax lab. So when oh, anthrax wow. came out in September of 2001, I didn't have a question where it came from because I saw where it came from. That's why I didn't have a question. This wasn't a oh giant gosh. shock. And, and so, so the issue is, you're right. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. And David, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring a point that you said before back into this conversation. You know, we, we, uh, we very seldom tell the story of Nehemiah correctly. Hmm. You know, the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament is actually an amazing story. And the reason why we don't tell the story correctly is because we like to judge and we don't like to let the divine plan unfold. Because the story of Nehemiah is that a prophet of God was serving as a bodyguard to one of the worst people on the planet. There was no good Persian king back then. Mm -hmm. it, it, these these mm -hmm. weren't, you know, right. the nice hug, hug and kiss kind of guys. These were mass murdering psychopaths. These were some of the worst. They made Hitler and Stalin look like child's play. But God actually put Nehemiah as the bodyguard to this guy. And one day it says in this, in the story, one day he walked into the King's presence with his face downcast. Now let's stop and think about that. If you're the bodyguard to a King who's a pretty bad King and a lot of people want to kill him. If you walk in looking off one day, that's not a good not career good. move, right? That, <laughs> right. That's a, that's a bad <laughs> career move. That's Either you're upset and you're doing something bad or you just drank some bad wine and you know the king's about ready to go down. Either way, it's a bad day. But what happened? What happened was the king looked at Nehemiah and said, hey, Nehemiah, why is your face downcast? And at that moment, Nehemiah said, because the walls of my city have been broken down, my temple's been destroyed. And what did the king do? The king actually released 
his royal treasury so that Nehemiah could go back and rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls. Now, why do I tell that story? I've had tons of people tell me, Dave, you mean you were actually with bioweapons makers? You were actually in the labs? You were, you bet I was. You know why? Because I was being equipped for a moment mm. such as this. Yeah. You don't get to get hit by a fast moving train if you're not on the track. You don't get to do what you were put here on this planet to do if you take yourself out of the game. And this, you're, you, David, your opening point, I just want to come back to. Every one of us has been equipped with the life that we've been entrusted right now. And most of us have failed in putting ourselves in the places that were uncomfortable where we were going to be equipped to do the things we needed to do. And I want to come back to your opening point because you're exactly right. I didn't know that in 1983 there would be this moment in 2024. But that's not mine to know. Mm -hmm. I needed to pick up the information. I needed to have the experience. I needed to have the names and dates and faces and check writers and all that kind of thing. And I could not do what I do today if I hadn't been prepared in that horrific white parachute pants, lavender shirt with the white <laughs> collar moment in 1983. We all are equipped. The question is, are we actually putting ourselves where we're called to be. And that is a big challenge. And a lot of us right now are failing that challenge. Such a great point. This is an important time. And what, mm -hmm. what's interesting is this is not an isolated pocket in the past. It's, mm -hmm. you know, somebody in no. a small town in Iowa, you know, has access to videos and information mm -hmm. and things that we've never would have had in any previous conflicts or catastrophes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's a great point because we are now empowered in a way that we you, – you also said this in the opening, and I, and I want to come back to it. My dear friend Stan Graham, with whom we ran Prosecute Now for quite a while, Stan Graham said, you know, once you are informed, you now have a duty, right? Yeah. While you're ignorant, yeah. you can kind of get away with not doing something. But once you have constructive information, then you have a duty. You have an obligation. Morality dictates that you take action because inaction is part of the crime. Mm -hmm. Inaction is part of the complicity of the masses. And we need to have people who inform themselves, get the information, and to your earlier point, take action. You're exactly right. And there is no one. If you can listen to a podcast, you can be part of the team. Mm -hmm. There's no question that you, you, you're not on the sideline anymore. You're on the field. So suit up and get ready to get hit a couple times. But that's okay because that's what the game's about. And silence is not an option. That, that is not no. an option. We cannot sit back. Um, let's talk about uh, this great setup. You know, with yeah. everything that's been happening over, since 2020, you know, there was so many questions surrounding that. But now it's like, who was behind it? And I think that's yeah. what we really need to look at. And then how do we keep yeah. those people accountable uh, for, for what they've done? How does, how is justice served? Yeah. So, so it's important to go back and I've, I've tried to bring people into this, this picture um, certainly for the, the 50 years leading up to the pandemic, there is a criminal conspiracy. And by the way, not a theory. Remember people that conspiracy is actually a legally defined term. It's when people get together and plan illegal activities. There is a criminal conspiracy between the Rockefeller Foundation and the Wellcome Trust. Those are the two organizations which are the largest, most manipulative check writers that are out there, who in the 1940s decided to use Nuremberg as the pretext for setting up the World Health Organization. 
And the reason why it's important for us to point this out is because under the Clayton Act, which is the Antitrust Act of the United States, which was amended from the Sherman Act, which was the earlier Antitrust Act, under the Clayton Act, we have a thing called interlocking directorates. And what does that mean, Dave and Stacey? What that means is when people who would be market competitors get together and engage in price fixing, in manipulation of markets, of all those kinds of things, when they get together, they create what's called an interlocking directorate, which is where they decide to control what the free market would not actually Mm -hmm. allow if the free market was allowed to run the way it should. And in the formation of the World Health Organization, what they did in the 1950s was they decided that vaccines were going to be the universal agent of population control. That was in the 1950s. Mm. Brock Chisholm, 1952, actually made the statement that it was going to be for the purpose of, and here we go, straight from his own words, population control. Okay? The graphic that you see on the screen right now, you just can't make this stuff up. 1947, Rene Sand, who was the first director of the World Health Organization, was a prisoner at Dachau concentration camp. Isn't it fascinating (laughs) that the Rockefeller Foundation found a prisoner at Dachau to be the first genocidal eugenics guy to run the World Health Organization? Wow. Kind of amazing, right? Yeah. So, so it's important for us to realize that this has been going on for a long time. And then we, we run into the 1990s and we have a real big problem that happened. And, I, and a lot of people sit back and forget about this. But you remember that Microsoft was found guilty of antitrust mm-hmm. violations? Guilty. Does anybody remember that? Guilty, guilty. not tried. Mm-hmm. They were guilty. This was a criminal conviction. And mysteriously, Janet Reno decided in her infinite wisdom to just go, yeah, we're kind of letting it all go for an undisclosed settlement, which happened to coincide with the Gates Foundation becoming one of the largest donors to the World Health Organization. So much so that 10 years later, they weren't one of, they were the largest donor to the World Health Organization by donations from donor organizations. As of 2023, their donations accounted for, are you ready for this? 88% of the donor-funded funds to the World Health Organization. And lo and behold, Hmm. guess who was promoting vaccines as the only way to manage a population? Well, that is none other than Bill Gates. Yep. And if you go back and you look at this, right? Remember, people, this is not a conspiracy theory. It is a criminal conspiracy This is actual people who should be market competitors. Clearly the Wellcome Trust, clearly the Gates Foundation's Gavi, clearly all of these organizations should be market competitors. But what they did was they illegally participated in a criminal racketeering exercise, which by 2011 said that by the end of the decade. So remember, this was in 2011. They said by the end of the decade, the world would accept a universal vaccine. Wow. The world would accept it. Now, let's That was in remember, 2011, so they're saying 2021. In, okay. in the book, Decade of the Vaccines, they made that statement. And who's they? You know, I have a picture that I keep here. The they, I don't know if you can see it very well. Yep. But the they 
are actually real people like Bill Elias from the Gates Foundation, like Jeremy Farr from the Wellcome Trust, like Anthony Fauci from NIAID. These aren't a nameless, faceless they. These are a they who violated the antitrust laws of the United States. So when I say this is a criminal conspiracy, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is actual con- criminal conspiracy. And this, guys, is the reason why we're so enthusiastic about antitrust legislation and ultimately antitrust prosecution with attorneys general across the United States, because these are felony crimes. These are not slap on the wrist, you know, you you, you pay a fine and you go away. These are 10 years, some as much as 100 years in prison. These are $100 million fines per count. These are real, real, real crimes. But we have to remember something. And I've said that I will say this every time that I'm on a show, and I have to because it's morally required to do it. In 2015, Peter Daszak of EcoHealth Alliance said, for the public to accept the need for a medical countermeasure such as a pan-coronavirus vaccine, the media needed to create the hype. We needed to use that hype to our advantage to get to the real issues. And he concluded his quote by saying, investors will respond if they see profit at the end of a process. One year later, Ralph Barrick, his co-investigator, Peter Daszak's collaborator, said that the Wuhan Institute of Virology Virus 1 was, and I quote, poised for human emergence. Dave and Stacy, that was in 2016. That was published, briefed, and known in 2016. The same Ralph Barrick, who in 2005 said synthetic coronaviruses were biological warfare-enabling technologies. That same Ralph Barrick. And remember, I'm not, this is not Dave Martin's interpretation, right? It's his CV. It's his document where he says that synthetic coronavirus is going to be a biological warfare-enabling technology mysteriously leads us to September 18th of 2019. Three and a half months before patient number one in Wuhan, three and a half months before when all of those same interlocking directors, the Gates Foundation, NIAID, the Wellcome Trust and others get together and say that there is going to be a release of a lethal respiratory pathogen so that the world accepts a universal vaccine by September 2020. Guys, this is not an allegation. This is a criminal accusation. Oh. And Did they not think that we would things. find this? Did this they is, not think that the that this information would ever come out? This is or babe, there's just no accountability? This is Babe Ruth walking to home plate and pointing towards calling a shot. That's exactly right. And 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 the sad thing is, and this <clears> is the part that blows my mind, whether it's Ralph Barrick's statement, whether it is the fact that in 2014, during the alleged gain-of-function moratorium, NIAID, Anthony Fauci's organization, told Ralph Barrick to keep going on gain-of-function research. Not kind of. He actually, in a letter, which you guys have in the slides, sent a letter to UNC Chapel Hill and said, because your gain-of-function research is already funded, it is not subject to the moratorium, so just keep going, right? When was the last time you heard of a moratorium that didn't involve stopping something? Right. 
Like, I mean, you, you sit here and you go, are you kidding? This is not maybe it's gain of function. It says, nope, it's gain of function research. It's on, are you ready for this? The Wuhan virus of coronavirus. So <laughs> let's get clear. This wasn't any old coronavirus. This is Wuhan Institute of Virology virus one. That's the one that they're working on. And NIAID said, it's gain of function research. Keep doing it during the moratorium in 2014 as long as you're receiving funding and where is the funding coming from and and was there a, oh, that's right. a, a, yeah, a predetermined amount from? it turns out that those grants and you can go to the grant numbers <clears throat> the grant numbers not only are an nih niaid grant but they have a corresponding department of defense grant that actually goes with that grant so it's a two-four you get the nih money and then you get the black Defense Department money that matches the NIID money. And all of those records are in the public domain. And David and Stacy, I have said many times, this is the act of a sociopath. They actually want to taunt the public mm-hmm. by saying, we're going to kill you. We're going to tell you how we're going to kill you. We're going to tell you all these things. And we dare you to find it. Okay, so there's... Wow, that's just... It's complete arrogance. There's a there's there's a letter on their letterhead, um, and there's a moratorium on gain of function, but because you have funding and you're already doing it, continue as long as you have funding, and we're gonna basically over here make sure you have unlimited funding. And I don't I don't want to disparage people that are involved in this investigation, but we've all seen we've all seen the 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 Rand Paul Fauci conversations. How, how long has this letter been public? And it doesn't seem like there was a big mystery when those conversations were taking place on that old of a letter. Rand Paul, Rand Paul, unfortunately, has been using the theater of those bouts with Fauci as a fundraising tool. And he has had that letter since the beginning of the pandemic and has not once put it in front of Anthony Fauci during a testimony. You answer a question for me. If you have the damning evidence of a federal agent lying to the U.S. Congress, which is a felony crime, Section 1001, a felony crime, and you never put the information in front of the witness, which it would in this case been Anthony Fauci, and you never put it in front of the American people. You tell me, is Rand Paul on the right or the wrong side of this story? Mm. I don't know, but is this recent as a week ago, can, he's, Rand Paul is presenting to a... You. Rand Paul's presenting to a group of people and he says, every time I get home from being in DC, I walk in the door. What's the first thing my wife asked me? She doesn't ask, how are you doing? How's your trip? My wife asked me, why is Anthony Fauci not in jail? I mean, he does this presentation as recently as a week ago. And the reason is because he has decided to never show this letter, which he has in his possession to Anthony Fauci and get him arrested on the spot for lying to Congress. Rand Paul has never introduced this letter in a single one of his hearings, and he's had it for years. Now, I mean, listen, the theater, Ron Ron Johnson has had these theater shows where he gets people together and he goes, we're going to have another hearing on COVID. But Ron Johnson doesn't ever tell people that in 2021, when my wife and I went up and briefed his office, he's the one that shut down our investigation. Mm. 
He could have stopped this before millions of people were killed. Now he's holding hearings. He's making the theater look like he cares. But the fact of the matter is, and I have, by the way, all the email records. My wife and I, on the drive home from that, had to call the police because there was a round that was shot through our skylight in our car after that briefing. And by the way, that's a matter of, you know, record of the police in Northern Virginia. That here's the thing. The thing is, Rand Paul and Ron Johnson and others, I think at their heart, probably mean well. But here's the problem. Rand Paul has this letter. It's been hand delivered to his office many times. Hundreds of people have sent it to his office. And and by the way, I highlighted it. So it's pretty doggone easy to read the salient points of the letter, right? This is not a difficult thing. But he allows Anthony Fauci to lie in front of Congress. And not once does he put this letter in front of Anthony Fauci. Not once. And I think so, Fiber fly, so, family, you got to be intelligent enough mm-hmm. to know that more than one thing can be true at a, at the same time. And I want you to, uh, Dr. Martin, reference. Uh, I've heard you talk about a conversation you had with a political official in the state of Oklahoma. You had another one yep. with the governor of Florida, and and uh, yep. you know, DeSantis can stand up to Disney and make you proud, but also he can also be very concerned of, hey, we need to talk about this in context of an upcoming election. That's exactly right. And and listen, we ran into that a lot. I will tell you that I. I'm very, very honored to say that there is an attorney general and I fully intend to make public who he is. And as soon as as soon as we can announce the case. But after now, the better part of two and a half years. And by the way, to your point, David, he had political expediency. He had some things that were in going on in, in the background that were confusing the situation as well. He had real life happening. There's a lot of things that were going on. But I will tell you that just a few weeks ago, that attorney general came back to the table. He and I had a beautiful conversation. We actually talked about the fact that my insistence on criminal prosecution sometimes is pretty over the top because I think crimes are being committed and we need to stop them because real people are dying. And I get that there are political people who have to make political decisions as well. And he and I had a beautiful conversation we did a thing that every human being has the capacity to do, which is reconcile the fact that he has his reality and I have my reality. And there's a common good for which we both are deeply concerned. And we had what every human being ought to have, which is one of those moments where you go, you know what? In the heat of the moment, I've criticized in action. That's on me. But in the heat of the moment, you actually prioritize political expediency. That's mm-hmm. on you. Now let's get together and lock arms and fight together. And I'm super proud that we've stayed in the conflict with each other to get to a good outcome. So you're exactly right. Yeah, you know what? Ron DeSantis told Zev Zelenko and me moments before Zev was going to die that as soon as he was reelected, he was going to make sure the grand jury of Florida actually listened to the case that we had laid out. Ron DeSantis has not followed through on that commitment. And I have a different standard to promises broken to me than promises broken to a man who's passed. Mm -hmm. I think dishonoring a promise made to a man who's died is one of the worst things a person can do. And I think Ron DeSantis should actually understand that he broke a promise to Zev Zelenko. That's not an acceptable thing to do. But that day is not over. 
because Zev and my fight is still going on. And I'm more than happy to sit down with Ron and say, listen, I get it. I understand political expediency, but now let's do the right thing because we have a real event horizon, a real event horizon that we need to prepare for. And that is this spring when the World Health Organization votes on the most horrific treaty, which suspends not only the liberties of human beings, but specifically undermines the sovereignty of states and the sovereignty of the interactions between people through international travel. That treaty must stop, must stop. We have Senate Resolution 81 currently in the 118th Congress, Senate Resolution um, 81, and it's currently sponsored by, I'll just pull it up here. It's currently sponsored by, um, let's see who the sponsor is. Um, James uh, Rich of, of I, um, Idaho, Republican from Idaho. Um, you know, that, that resolution needs to get public support. We need to have people calling their senators mm-hmm. and saying, get behind this thing. You know, it's great to have a Republican from Idaho who's actually submitted the resolution, but we need to have every senator get behind that resolution. We need to make sure that whatever happens in Geneva with the criminal cartel that's operating out of Geneva under the Wellcome Trust, under the Gates Foundation, under the Rockefeller Trust, we need to make sure that criminal cartel is broken. And we need to make sure that we have in the United States a preemptive strike that says we're not going to accept the nonsense that comes out of Geneva. And we must get that passed. So what does that mean? That means if you listen to this show, let's go ahead and call your senators, send letters to your senators, and make it clear that we will not allow a resolution from the World Health Organization to disrupt the sovereignty and the liberty of America, period. We're Mm -hmm. not going to do it. And I love it because you uh, you come out and you actually call the WHO a criminal cartel. It is. Yeah. And it is. And, and, and there's a reason why we have to call it what it is. Remember that once again, this goes back to some antitrust legislation. Most people aren't familiar with that law, but here's the deal. There's a lot of pieces of antitrust law, but to make an emergency use authorization agent legal, You have to establish that there are no commercial alternatives. Well, it turns out that by their own admission, Ralph Barrick had actually published in medical journals the recipe that Zeb Zelenko put in Z-Stack 10 years before the pandemic. (laughs) The whole hydroxychloroquine and quercetin and all these kinds of things all of that information was known and published in medical journals as a treatment for coronavirus infection-related disorders, and it was published 10 years before this. So what did we have to do? We had to falsify the fact that for over 100 years, the chloroquines, which actually ultimately became hydroxychloroquine, which were championed none other than Johns Hopkins University itself. Remember, Johns Hopkins University was put in place because of tropical diseases called malaria. And you know what we used for malaria? Quinolones and hydroxychloroquine. Mm. That's what we used for malaria. So don't tell me that hydroxychloroquine isn't safe. The reason why it's known around the world is because of Johns Hopkins University. And that same Johns Hopkins University was by the criminal cartel 
told to suppress the very drug for which its entire public health program has been established for 100 years. Does that sound like fair markets? Does that sound like free no. markets? No. That's suppression. The suppression of vitamin D, the suppression of hydroxychloroquine, the suppression of ivermectin. Every one of those was required so that the only medication authorized was going to be remdesivir, invented and patented by Ralph Barrick. Did you hear that? <laughs> Ralph Barrick. And the mRNA shot with a sequence of protein invented and patented by Ralph Barrick. Oh, boo. Now, mm. UNC Chapel Hill knows that they've got blood on their hands. They may have tar on their heels, but they definitely have blood on their hands. And the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill unambiguously is the biological weapons lab from which all this nonsense has been perpetrated. And to this day, not a single person in the state of North Carolina has investigated that crime. Not a single attorney general, not a single member of Congress, not a single member of the assembly, not a single law enforcement official in Chapel Hill has bothered to look at the fact that in nine, uh, sorry, in 2018, remdesivir was pulled from the World Health Organization's clinical trials of Ebola in Africa because it had a 53% kill rate. 53%. Jeez. This was the drug that was approved for use in COVID. You know what? Ebola doesn't kill 53%. No coronavirus model ever had killed 53%. Sick. But remdesivir did kill 53%. And listen to who pulled it from their own clinical trial, the World Health Organization. And they reinstituted it. They knew they were going to murder people. That's not an assertion again. That is an accusation because it is true. In 2018, the publications are there. They knew they were going to kill human beings and they did not care. Oh, it just makes me so sick. It goes back to that whole eugenics things that you're talking about that you started with. Exactly right. Exactly right. All right, Flavor family, again, every document that's here, plus many more, there's, there's a, uh, a a dossier, the Fauci, the Fauci dossier uh, is, is available. It'll be in the links here completely free. It's a PDF that you can buy from other sources that Dr. Martin made available for free. It's a PDF available to you if you text in 40509, the word Martin. You can only get the slides we talked about today. We'll put the links uh, to the legislation uh, that that's coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, as we wrap up, there's one thing that you, you clarify so well, and people have heard pieces of it, <clears throat> but you lay into a four part, uh, process of, of, uh, the plan fund, the experiment, uh, build the rationale and execute the plan. Can you, as, as we last couple of minutes, we wrap up, lay out that four step yeah. plan. And then we're at a mm -hmm. fork in the road where not only the, 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 who could gain more power, people would think the alternative would be to limit their power, but the true solution is to destroy the who. No, no question. They, they have no business existing, nor does any of the UN affiliated agencies. Remember that out of the 1944 Bretton Woods Summit, which is where all the multilateral organizations got their start, every one of them received an absolute criminal immunity from prosecution. Guess what? Mm. There's no human being walking this planet who should ever have that. Yeah. You and I should be accountable for our actions, period. No 
ifs, ands, or buts. We should be accountable for our actions. And the fact that every one of these UN-affiliated agencies have absolute criminal immunity is unconscionable, and we must, must stop that entirety. Because there's no justification for anybody who can kill other human beings with impunity. Never will be, never could be. But let's go back to your four-step process, because I've laid this out as the game plan that these guys have used since the 1920s and 30s, which is you create the illusion of a problem. And I mean, listen, we can go back a little further in history. I don't know if you remember why powdered wigs were mandatory in French courts? No. No. Well, it's because certain STDs created hair loss. And because <laughs> the king the kings did not want to be seen as having been profligate and potentially promiscuous, they actually made everybody in court wear a wig to cover their STD problem. So this is an old game that we're talking about. Wow. But let's talk about this particular game. You create the illusion of a epidemic or pandemic. You then have the solution, which happens to be the commercially patented solution. Think about Tuskegee. Think about syphilis, right? That's how we got penicillin to be accepted, because we knew everybody would talk about the problem of sexually transmitted diseases, but we didn't want to really talk about it. So what we do is we create the illusion that everybody could get syphilis and then we introduce penicillin. Why do we do that for? Because we want to wipe out all other forms of treatment for what we called infectious disease. And so penicillin became ubiquitous, not because we all needed it. We created a pandemic and then we got everybody to take it. Mm. Similarly, with anthrax, what did we do? We created a pandemic of anthrax and nobody disputes that. That was the United States government distributing anthrax to its own people. And we sell ciprofloxacin from Bayer by 300 million doses of ciprofloxacin. 300 million doses. 300 million. Right. That's what we did with Cipro because seven letters got to seven people. Right. This this game is not just a game. And we could look at it, you know, we can look at Moderna. Moderna never produced a commercial product ever. And BioNTech had not really produced much commercial product. And these two companies are the two companies that get the world's order for a alleged vaccine that's never been a vaccine. It even in their own SEC filings says it's an experimental gene therapy. This is not a vaccine, never has been. It is, are you ready for this? An experimental gene therapy. That's what it says in their own SEC filings in 2020. This is an experimental gene therapy. They get those contracts. But remember that the reason for these terror campaigns is not for the commercial gain. It's for what happens next. What happens next is the suspension of human liberties. Because after anthrax, what did we get? The PrEP Act. And the PrEP Act is how in manufacturers of injections got immunity, just like the 1986 Act got um, childhood vaccine protection. Remember, every one of these terror campaigns is the front end story of a suspension of subsequent civil liberties. Remember that the entirety, go back and look in the history of this. You go back and you look at every one of the 1962 Drug Efficacy Amendment, which was the amendment to the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act of 1938. 
The Harris Amendment was put in place. Are you ready for this? To cover penicillin-related and other infectious disease-related things. We get to 1974, 1975. Does anybody remember what's happening then? Oh, we start having STDs. And what happens in 1980 to 83? We have the invention of HIV Mm -hmm. so that we can get what? Oh, that's right. An HIV allegedly vaccine and AZT, which is the largest um, GlaxoSmithKline windfall that happened out of that whole campaign. Listen, Every one of these game plans, David, is designed to be exactly the same. We create the illusion of a pandemic. We create a commercial gain. And then we follow it with a legislation intended to deprive humans of liberty. And we have been doing this since 1904. So if we're going to change the playbook, ladies and gentlemen, we have to change all of the playbook. This is not about fixing COVID accountability. This is actually breaking the back of the pharmaceutical industrial complex, which has been a hostage holder of this country since the 1905 Jacobson ruling. And we must break the back of that monopoly or we, the people, will not have liberty. You know, Dr. Martin, here at the Flyover Conservatives, we have a very active audience. You know, our slogan here is wake up, speak up and show up. So as we are closing out, um, you're giving away the dossier, which is amazing. So by when people text the phone number 40509, uh, text the word Martin to 40509, they get the dossier in there. Um, what What is your recommendation? What should they do with this? What's a way they can make a difference to actually yep. fix the problem? Perfect, Stacey. The, the big thing is to actually take that document, send it certified mail to your attorney general, send mm-hmm. it certified mail to your senators, make sure that there is a cover letter that you handwrite that says, I want you to know as a voting member of this you know, district or this state, I will not vote for a candidate who doesn't hold this crime accountable. Make it really simple. You can handwrite it. Mm-hmm. Put that on the cover letter, send it certified mail. Why certified mail? Because it goes to a different mailbox. Somebody has to sign for it. Somebody actually has to say that they were accountable for it. You want to know that you held them accountable. And yes, it costs a little more, but ladies and gentlemen, the price of liberty is not cheap. You are not going to break the bank when you go to that post office and you send these things out. We must get our senators to stop the World Health Organization treaty that's moving for approval this spring. And we must get our attorneys general to file these prosecutions. And we need to send the AGs and the senators and the congressmen this information. We know, we know that the other side prevailed. Remember this, because they kept the COVID count and the death count and the injection count. And they kept all these counts in front of us all the time. Repetition, people, is a technology of influence. Just because you sent once doesn't mean you're done. You keep at this the same way I keep at this. Every single day, you keep people accountable. And over time, and by the way, just like the story of Nehemiah, you don't know the day it's going to happen. But one day at a coffee shop, one day at a golf club, one day at a fundraiser, one day at a dinner, One day at your church, you're going to come in contact with that AG or that senator or that congressman. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to say, my face is downcast. 
because you're allowing the enemies at the gate. And on that day, because of the actions you took, we will prevail. Powerful. I love so it. Good. Dr. Martin, I love the way that you work because you get to work on the mm-hmm. wall with a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other, much like Nehemiah, because you're mm-hmm. you're diligent in both places at the same time. I thank you so much for your time. Um, love to have you on again, possibly in a in person, you know, in our studio at some point. It's this this war. That would be great. I would love to do that. I love getting face to face with people. And it's a, it's a war of ideas, and you have the best ones out there, and you articulate them mm-hmm. in a well that's clean, it's linear, people can run with. Fiverr family, let's take action today. Uh, text 40509, the word Martin. Mm-hmm. Let's work together. We're in this together. There's probably not somebody coming to save us. It's up to us to do it from the bottom up. Let's take action. Dr. Martin, thank you for your time. This is a crazy time to be alive. Well, just in our lifetime, used to be where you'd hear your grandparents talk about how cheap gas was and stuff, and it was 75 years before, 50 years you yeah. know, before. And so we've seen a lot of changes since Biden took office, $700 more a month than what you needed in January of 21 when he took office. You might hear these kind of things and think, oh, that's overwhelming. I can't control the government. I can't control what they're doing. I can't control the spending, but we can take care of ourselves. You want to make sure that you're buying bullion from somebody that you can trust and someone that does not charge you a commission when you go to sell. If there's going to be a commission, have it on the front end, not the back end when it skyrockets and now you're like, oh my gosh, look at this big, huge commission I got to pay because it's on the back end before I sell it. You can buy an ounce of silver for $23. So this is something everybody can get into. And if silver goes to $50, if it goes to 75, if it goes to 100, all of those profits are yours. And that's happening while the dollar is buying less and less at the actual grocery store. So you can go to flyovergold.com, fill out your information. When you do that, someone from Dr. Kirk's team will get a hold of you to set up a free consultation. It doesn't cost you any money whatsoever. Or to do the same thing, you can just call 720-605-3900. The Thrive Time Show two-day interactive business workshops are the world's highest rated and most reviewed business workshops because we teach you what you need to know to grow. You can learn the proven uh, 13-point business systems that Dr. Zellner and I have used over and over to start and grow successful companies. I mean, we get into the specifics, the specific steps on what you need to do to optimize your website. We're going to teach you how to fix your conversion rate. Uh, We're going to teach you how to do a social media marketing campaign that works. How do you raise capital? How do you get a small business loan? We teach you everything you need to know here during a two-day, 15-hour workshop. It's all here for you. You work every day in your business, but for two days you can escape and work on your business and build these proven systems so now you can have a successful company that will produce both the time freedom and the financial freedom that you deserve. You're going to leave energized, motivated, but you're also going to leave empowered. The reason why I've built these workshops is because as an entrepreneur, I always wish that I had this. And because there wasn't anything like this, I would go to these motivational seminars, no money down, real estate, Ponzi scheme, get motivated seminars, and they would never teach me anything. It was like you went there and you paid for the the big chocolate Easter bunny, but inside of it, it was a hollow nothingness. And I wanted the knowledge, and they're like, oh, but we'll teach you the knowledge after our next workshop. And the great thing is we we have nothing to upsell. At every workshop, we teach you what you need to know. There's no one in the back of the room trying to sell you some next big uh, get-rich-quick, walk-on-hot-coals product. It's literally we teach you the brass tacks, the specific stuff that you need to know to learn how to start and grow a business. 
And I encourage you to not believe what I'm saying. And I want you to Google uh, the Z66 auto auction. I want you to Google elephant in the room. Look at Robert Zellner and Associates. Look them up and say, are they successful because they're geniuses? Or are they successful because they have a proven system? When you do that research, you will discover that the same systems that we use in our own business can be used in your business. Come to Tulsa, book a ticket, and I guarantee you it's going to be the best business workshop ever. And we'll even give you your money back if you don't love it. We've built this facility for you, and we're excited to see you. And now you may be thinking, what does it actually cost to attend an in-person two-day interactive Thrive Time Show business workshop? Well, good news. The tickets are $250 or whatever price that you can afford. What? Yes, they're $250 or whatever price you can afford. I grew up without money, and I know what it's like to live without money. So if you're out there today and you want to attend our in-person two-day interactive business workshop, all you got to do is go to thrivetimeshow.com to request those tickets. And if you can't afford $250, we have scholarship pricing available to make it affordable for you. So if you would like to meet us, we will be at that business conference next week. We would love to meet you in person. They are amazing conferences and you learn so much. And you're also in a room that's full of people that are all trying to move their business forward, learn. So it's kind of a a hungry environment. So everybody's kind of anticipating Mm -hmm. new breakthroughs and learning, new insights. Then you kind of, whatever business you're in, you kind of interpret the events around you even better. And I want to talk about interpreting events a little bit. If you Mm -hmm. uh, say we're going on a cruise with your family and you're, you're, you're getting on the ship and you're like excited. You got your bags and all the people that work on the ship, uh, the stewards and people are, are all kind of jogging off quickly and just kind of urgently and not talking to you. And then you see, you know, the, the, the captains and the people that run it, they're kind of doing the, the same, excuse me, excuse me, coming, coming through, coming through. Like I am not getting on that ship. You're like, that's kind of interesting. Why would they want to get off? Like you might even ignore it because, Hey, I'm so excited to get on. I've been watching the commercials. There's nothing but great things. But do you look at the the sparkle and dazzle the ship or do you look at the people that are in the know mm-hmm. that are the most vested, which would be the captains and the staff and people who work there? If they're hurrying and rushing to get off, oh, there's there's nothing to see here. There's no problem. Um, but they're but they're hustling to get off. That should be a sign. Mm-hmm. Although most people, because we're kind of programmed to be distracted by the glitz and the the smells and oh, this mm-hmm. looks good. Um, you got to look not at the glitz, but you got to look at the people that are invested in the the the, the boat, the ones mm-hmm. you're about to get on. And it's been interesting because we've been talking about stuff quite a bit, you know, over the last uh, couple of years, you know, talking to Kirk Elliott. I think we might have a PhD. Uh, <laughs> honorary. Honorary PhD. And what we're learning uh, from Dr. Kirk Elliott over the last year and a half or two years. But he brought up this whole thing about Bezos. If you guys remember from last week, Bezos dumped $10.4 billion of his shares. There's a PDF of this. And so got why it. is he dumping 10.4 billion of his shares? What's going on that would cause that? His wife has done something very ex-wife, uh, uh, one of the richest ex-wives in the world has done the same. Um, that's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you, if, if something's going to be increasing, you'd think they'd want to hold it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and for that move, um, it's not happening just there. There's quite a few other people as well. Uh, Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Foundation selling stock in Microsoft. Um, Jamie Dimon uh, uh, is, has not made a sale since 2005, and he just sold $150 million of, of shares of, of uh, uh, J.P. Morgan. Um, Mark Zuckerberg uh, sold $400 million of, of Facebook stock. This is all in the last week or two. Um 
There's uh, the Bezos. Uh, Bezos sold eight point mm-hmm. five billion dollars uh, worth of Amazon. Um, there, there's quite a few others. Um, uh, Lily and Dalma, one hundred thirty million dollars of 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 Lily's. Alex Carp sold twenty five million dollars uh, in stock. Uh, McDermott recently sold twenty six million dollars. They got all the stock. Okay, then also the Walton family. The Walton family just sold four point five billion worth of Walmart stock, and then Jim Ellis and Rob Walton sold one point five billion after their earnings. So you have to be like, okay, what the heck why, is going on? Why? Why is, they, why is everybody selling? We're gonna put a, a, a chart on the screen. There's a, a entrepreneur, kind of a tech executive, um, semi economist person that we follow. I have a lot of trust in. Um, so, you know, Bezos, Gates, and Zuckerberg uh, have all sold heavily over the last two months. He goes, I remember the last time that this happened, and he has a chart showing December the 15th, 2021, uh, there was a major sell-off by these exact same players. He says, is the roller coaster going downhill again? Uh, you know, woohoo is, is, is the comment. But you look at that chart. The last time we were in this exact moment, that is what the stock market did. And when things hit a peak, that's sometimes where your mm-hmm. brother-in-law and people are like, oh, this is going up. I want to get in. But if you look around at the people that have the most invested, that have the most at stake, if they're pulling money out. What do they do? They pull money mm-hmm. out, do something else with it, and then get back in at the bottom of a dip like that. They're looking at global events. These people go and they meet at Davos. They meet uh, uh, at executive meetings and they they get together and they're mm-hmm. like, hey, what are you seeing? What are you seeing? Those are meetings that you're not you know, inv- invited to. And you got to look at, so then what are they doing? Mm-hmm. And again, if you're getting on a cruise ship, the captain, the staff, everybody is is scurrying to get off. What do they know that you yeah, don't know? Great question. And uh, we're in turbulent times. We're, got, you know, we're in basically seven wars in this world. We've covered in the past, China, Russia, all the major nations that are opposing the United States mm-hmm. are all heavily invested in tangible assets. Oil is a thing. Gold is a thing. Mm-hmm. Silver is a thing. They're getting into things and not a shoebox full of, of of IOUs, you know, like Dumb and Dumber. Like, hey, that's that's just as good. As, that's just as good as cash. <laughs> I would hold on to that. You know, you got to ask yourself this: if 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 you had a friend that you knew had not worked in two years, but his lifestyle was kind of the same, mm-hmm. it looks like they're doing well, but everything's going on a credit card. Would you take a, a ten thousand dollar IOU and borrow ten thousand to that guy? No, no. His, his, the, but if you, you know, if he had someone else, you knew was diligent, mm-hmm. was saving, is hardworking, has two jobs, the wife's working, you know, that they're, that they're producing income and they had a $10,000 IOU and they wanted $10,000, would you take it? Yeah, they're probably good for it. And so, so the dollar is shifting, other nations mm-hmm. are making moves and our stock market is, is at a peak place and the people at the top of it are pulling money out, not in thousands or hundreds of thousands, but by millions, millions millions and billions, Mm -hmm. eight and a half billion dollars by Jeff Bezos alone. So that is a warning to us and what we're doing personally, and we've been doing it consistently and and as much as we possibly can, is taking money out of other areas and putting it into things that are tangible, you know, Mm -hmm. gold, silver, oil. Those are the easiest things to do. Silver is the best investment, but you need somebody that can ride this roller coaster out with you and with no fee, get back out of it mm-hmm. at whatever point and put your chips back on the table when the playing environment becomes right again. So there is a fee at the, at the front end, yes. just not at the back end. And that's when, obviously, you know, if it spikes, you're not having to pay on all of that. So you're not paying on your important. gains. It's yes. incredibly important. But it all starts with a consultation. You, 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 you go to flyovergold.com and that just puts you into the loop with Dr. Dr. Kirk Elliott. 
and then you have that conversation, pray about it, and see if it's right for you. That's exactly right. So go, go ahead, again, go to flyovergold.com or call 720-605-3900. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We bless you. We bless you to realize you were born for such a time as this. We bless you to realize your future is brighter than your past, and we bless you to wake up, speak up, and show up. See you back next time, guys. Thanks a lot, and peace out. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Flyover Conservatives podcast with David and Stacey Whited. Please subscribe, hit the notification bell, and leave us a comment below. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's podcast, share with those who came to mind. Be blessed and make it a great day. Hey.